Hi guys, welcome back to a new episode of the new Unfiltered. I have got so many awesome guests coming up on the new Unfiltered. I'm really excited to be getting right back into the podcasting space. I know I took some time away from it and then did the first season of the new Unfiltered with my friend Alex. And now I'm getting back into honestly what I do best, which is talking to successful entrepreneurs who have started incredible companies. So my guest today, I met at a VC kind of venture capital investor event a few weeks ago in Austin. And I'm really excited to have her on for many reasons. But I think what I learned from going to that event is that A lot of times I am the person who says no to going out. I really don't like going out. And my friend randomly sent me this invite and it was probably the best best event I've been to all year. And the reason I say that is because I unexpectedly just met so many incredibly talented, predominantly women who are so successful. So today I've got Rochelle Weitzner on the new Unfiltered. She was the CFO at Laura Mercier and the CEO at Erno Laszlo. And she has started a company called Pause and is invested in the invested by kind of the company whose uh, event that I was at. So Rochelle, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And you're exactly right. It was an awesome event that we where we met. It was such a good event. And when you stood up to speak, I think that's when I was like, oh, wow, I have to have you on this podcast because just the world in general, and especially the VC world is filled with so many men. And for you to stand up and share your story and your resilience with the stories that you mentioned and how often you've pitched pause out. And I know you said something with uh, one of the networks on TV that told you no, because people don't really want to talk about menopause. Uh, So just so much, so much good stuff. But walk me back through how you started pause and why you left these other larger companies. Yeah. So, you know, uh, as, as you said, my background was, was in beauty and I love the beauty industry. Um, and I knew that when I went to work for Erno Laszlo, that they really wanted to position the company for sale down the road. So I was brought in to help them do that. And, you know, I was there for a while. We did end up selling the company to a Chinese private equity group. And they really decided that they wanted the CEO to be based in China. That was the market that they were going after. And that just was not interesting to me. I had no desire to to pick up and and go. And quite frankly, they probably didn't want me to go to Asia because, well, let's face it, I couldn't talk to anybody over there. So that would be a problem. So I just left. I left the company. I didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, I ended up, you know, taking on some consulting roles, and one of them took me out to LA. And while I was out there, I was driving to the beach one day, and um, during that drive, I started to get super hot and sweaty. And I thought, you know, the air conditioning was broken, and I was about to turn to my wife, who was sitting next to me, and say you know, what is wrong with this air conditioning? But I saw she was shivering under a blanket and I realized the problem was actually me. And I was 48 at the time. And I thought, oh God, I think I'm having my first hot flash. And it was in that moment that I started thinking about the fact that a whole lot of things were about to change for me, but I didn't know what they were. And I knew that I wasn't ready for them. And I also knew 
that there were no, no companies in the beauty industry speaking directly to women like me who are now experiencing you know, this, this new life stage that we call menopause, which also has three stages to it and some very real changes are gonna happen. And I just felt like there was a real need for, for a beauty company to, to speak to this consumer. Not to mention the fact that I wanted products myself <laughs> to help me navigate this life stage. So I decided right then and there that I was gonna create pause I do make a joke and I say that that pause was born in a flash, a hot flash. And, and that really is what happened. I loved when you said that at the event, when you stood up and everyone just applauded because you're, <laughs> you're just so cool and you come at everything so authentically. So many of the people who listen to this podcast are probably between 18 to 25. They haven't hit the menopause stage yet. Uh, so I want to certainly talk to you about your experience working for these bigger companies and the advice that you have for young people who are struggling to find their purpose. When you entered uh, Erno, did you feel like you had, in theory, found your purpose? You knew exactly what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? No, I, I don't think I did. Um, and I do I do just want to take one quick step back because you mentioned the the age demographic of your audience, which I think is is fantastic. but I I think it's also we cannot learn too soon what we're going to be facing down the road. and and one of the things that that I found when I entered, this space, this menopause space specifically, was that when I sat down with all of the beauty editors of, of every beauty magazine you could think of, Vogue, Marie Claire, Allure, I mean, you name it, and I sat down with them, and they all said to me, we've never written about menopause before, and we've definitely never written about menopause and beauty together. We don't want our reader to feel bad about herself. The problem with that is she really wants to know what she has ahead of her. And are there things that can be done in advance to prepare for that? And so I just mentioned that because I think it would be really great for your audience to kind of get some knowledge. But the great thing is there are sites now like mine, for example, pausewellaging.com, where we have just some blogs and information about what is menopause? What what can I expect? What's normal? And just when you know that, it takes some of the taboo and the fear out of this thing called menopause that we think only happens to our grandmothers. But the reality is it's impacting women earlier and earlier now. Perimenopause, which is the very first stage, starts on average around 45 for women, but we're starting to see women as early as 38 entering perimenopause. So I know that I just totally derailed your question a bit, but I just thought it was important to mention that to just get educated and get ready because there are things that we can do in advance that will help us and help us, you know, uh, collagen is one of the biggest things that we can do. And if we can, in um, what's the word I'm looking for, encourage our bodies to produce collagen on its own and continue that collagen production, that is the best thing that we can do to keep that sagging and loosening of skin from happening down the road. So now let me go back to your, to your question. Tell me what your question was again. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. Now I have to, we have, we have to restart. So I want to restart with this question. I 
no, menopause is just being hot flashes. Can you just tell the entire audience? Because I remember when I was growing up, my mom was always like, I'm having a hot flash. And I think being 24 now, that's all I remember. So besides collagen on the topic of menopause, I mean, for people in their 20s, this is something that only affects women, correct? So, I mean, menopause itself, there's, there is a thought out there that there is something called menopause, right? I mean, our hormones are, are different. Women definitely experience it though, um, in a very, very significant way. I think there have been documented something like 38 different experiences that we have as our hormones fluctuate and we go through what's called menopause. Now, I mentioned early, there are three stages and a lot of people don't know there are three stages. So let me just talk about that for a second. The first stage is perimenopause. And this is when we have those, those major experiences, hot flashes, weight gain, skin changes. There, there are very real physiological skin changes that come with hormone fluctuations. We lose collagen, we lose elasticity, we lose radiance and we become excessively dry. There are also things like sleeplessness, um, brain fog. I mean, as I say, there's a list of 38 different things that, that affect us. And I read a, a statistic that I found fascinating that women spend on average $20,000 just to realize they're perimenopausal. There isn't anything wrong with them. They're going through menopause. And by not having that, that knowledge and information, we're spending a whole lot of money to figure out we're just going through a new life stage. Um, menopause itself is actually only one day in your life. It's the one day we go 12 full months without having a period. If you go 11 months and 15 days, and then you start bleeding the next day, that clock resets again. And so you're not considered to be, you know, have that menopause day until you've gone those 12 full months. That day is like your menopause birthday, holiday, whatever you want to call it, we should start celebrating it, right? And then the next day, you're postmenopausal for the rest of your life. I hear women a lot of times saying, you know, well, I've been through menopause already, I'm done with it. The sad thing is once we enter it, you're in it for the rest of your life. We don't ever finish it or get out of it. It's just some things change. Maybe those, those 38 experiences that I mentioned, they become lessened to a significant degree. And so you know, then we have to think about things like osteoporosis and, and some other things that, that impact us, but really, really important to know what are these different things that can happen and that they're very, very normal. You actually mentioned during that event that you had pitched pause and you received feedback from, I think it was either producers or investors in some capacity that was saying, you know, people don't want to know more about this. I can't remember exactly what you said. And it just honestly just sounded like rejection for no reason. And so when you left being the CEO and the CFO at these two massive companies to launch your own company, do you feel like you were expecting rejection? Is that something that has been a part of your journey from the beginning up until starting pause? No, the rejection to me was shocking. So, you know, maybe I was a little cocky going into things. I don't know, but I just sort of felt like, okay, the hardest thing about launching this company is going to be fundraising. 
Like anytime you have to ask people for money and raise funds, that kind of sucks, right? <laughs> it's really difficult. Yeah. Um, and so I knew that that was going to be really hard. And I started out, you know, financing the company myself as much as I could. Um, and then I knew I needed to look for some outside funding. And so I started, you know, I created my business plan and then I created my pitch deck and, you know, put this, this plan together that I then went out and through my network and then just through constantly meeting new people and having conversations, I, I got in front of probably 200 different investors. They were angel investors, they were private equity, they were venture capital. I was all over the place meeting with anyone who would talk to me. And that process in itself was, it was quite horrific, I have to say. Um, it's, you know, I was expecting rejection there because it's kind of, you know, when you're asking for money, that's what you get. Menopause maybe is not the sexiest thing in the world to talk about. And people were very quick to tell me that what they weren't really realizing though, was the opportunity and the fact that menopause is a $600 billion, uh, market opportunity as identified by, by fortune magazine. So I did finally find my right investors, and this was when I was doing pre-seed investments. It was very early on. And I thought, okay, great. I've got my, my initial cash to start working with. Now I could do what I do best, just create this brand. I know how to formulate products. I know how to work with contract manufacturers. I know how to create a brand. I know how to get the right people around me who are the marketing experts, that's going to be the easy part now, right? Well, no, this was when really the difficulty set in because menopause is such a taboo. No one wanted to talk about it. And when I say no one wanted to talk about it, I don't just mean, you know, customers. I'm talking about, I mentioned the, the beauty magazines. None of the beauty magazines wanted to write about menopause. Um, I was told that you couldn't say menopause on television because it's a medical condition. Not true. That's menopause right. is a life stage, right? Just like, just like puberty is a life stage, menopause is a life stage. So to now say, you know, there's 71,000 women globally that enter menopause every single day. Are we saying those 71,000 women are all sick and suffering from a medical condition? I don't think so. So it was just ignorance out there and, and lack of understanding of what menopause really is, but it's kept us from being able to do certain things, whether it be on television or, I mean, Google. Google's a perfect example that they will not allow us to remarket our skincare products. And remember, I'm about skincare. Um, so, you know, my moisturizers and my face serums because I talk about menopause on my website and I'm not willing to speak in euphemisms, I wanna break the taboo that surrounds menopause. So I speak about it very directly, but because of that, I can't remarket because we violate their health standards, policies, again, because they believe menopause is a medical condition. Does that make you mad? Oh my God, it infuriates me and I'm doing everything I can to try to break down these barriers. Like I really am trying to find the right people in Google to change policy because I think we have to. That's the only way we can break down the taboos and we become more educated too, is just knowing what 
really is this? What happens? The fact that, you know, I read a statistic, I think by 2025, there's going to be more than 1.1 billion women globally that are postmenopausal. That's a huge number. Every woman in the world, if she lives long enough to go through menopause, is going to go through menopause. It doesn't matter what color she is, what her religion is, she's going to go through it. And so the fact that we treat it like it's something wrong and a taboo and something we don't want to talk about, I think is just awful. I'm, I'm working to, you know, let women understand they really can feel like superheroes during this life stage. We don't have to fall into some box that someone wants to put us in that, oh, menopause, it's nothing but hot flashes and weight gain. And now we're going to be miserable for the rest of our lives. I don't believe that at all. So ultimately you entered an industry that didn't just have needing funding to tackle. You are trying to basically revamp the entire discussion surrounding menopause. (laughs) That's exactly right. I'm just, you know, trying to create a little movement over here. And, and by doing that, I mean, what was so crazy to me was, so I, I'm in the beauty industry. I love beauty. I think beauty is one of the most amazing things because my really sole purpose for being is just to help people feel great about themselves. So, you know, I love that. And the fact that this was a total white space in the beauty industry, that I'm the first brand to come out and say, we are just about women, you know, going through these hormonal fluctuations related to, to menopause. And those, you know, that's where we're focusing our attention. Like, I'm not the first person to ever go through menopause, right? But it was just incredible to me that we created this whole category in beauty. And it's so interesting when you think about it, because like you said, young people and women and whatnot in their twenties, this is going to happen to them. So it's almost like, should menopause be talked about in middle school and high school in the same way that sex education, I want to say it's talked about. I feel like it's so improperly, that's a whole other battle talked about in school. But do you feel like menopause is a conversation then that should be brought up at the middle and high school ages? I mean, I kind of do, right? It's basic biology. We're going to go through it. And like, I, I will joke sometimes and say, okay, when you get your period, you know, your mom maybe sits you down or an important, you know, person in your life sits you down and gives you that pamphlet for how to navigate life now that you have your period. We need the menopause pamphlet too. And that is something that I, I want to create because I just think we really do need it. So interesting. So I'm curious. Thanks for explaining all of the menopause, the concept kind of behind it and everything, because you're right. I never, I never learned this. And all I know is my mom saying I have hot flashes. And like, that is not, that is not enough here. There is so much education that needs to go around this topic. So just to back up a bit, when you were growing up and your college experience, now that you're an entrepreneur, how valuable was college to you? And should other people who are trying to pursue entrepreneurship, do they need a college degree? What is the situation with college in your opinion? It's, that's a super interesting question. Um, for me, college, so I went through a lot of changes in college too. Like I thought I wanted to be an architect and then it was like, no, I'll be the world's poorest architect in the world. I suck. So let me switch to business. And, you know, I changed, changed my major. 
And I really did not know what I wanted to do with my life. But I figured with business, I majored in, uh, did a double major in accounting and finance. And I felt like with accounting, I knew I could get a job. But with finance, I could focus on something I actually liked. Um, and so my college education really helped me kind of figure out what did I want to do ultimately and where did I want to get to? And I was lucky enough to right out of school, I went to work for a company called International Paper. Now, this is not the beauty industry. So it took me a while to get to beauty. I went to work for the world's largest paper and forest products company. Um, it was like a, a $28 billion company at the time. And I had studied finance. And so my, you know, my positions were in finance, but I ended up staying with that company for 19 years, believe it or not. I still have a pension with them. How crazy is that? Yeah. Um, but they there were so many interesting opportunities that came my way. And I was able to get my MBA while I was working full-time. I went to school full-time at Vanderbilt. Um, and that was worth everything to me. So my undergrad experience maybe didn't prepare me so much for, for being an entrepreneur, but it helped me to get focused and really be able to navigate my career. But it was then when I got my MBA that, and I had such a different mindset. I mean, I had been in the workplace for nine years already before I went to school, back to school. And so I was able to take the learnings and apply them to real world situations. And that's where you can really see the power in what you're learning and how does it apply and what can you do with it? Now, college is not right for everyone. And not everyone needs to go through it. For me, I think I needed a little bit of that structure and just that critical thinking um, to be able to do what I'm doing today. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think that's what I always tell people about going to college is that you don't necessarily have to walk away having a full-time job or, or even a sense, hopefully you have a bit more of a sense of what you want to do for a living, but you don't have to walk away with knowing exactly what you're going to do right out of college because it's kind of connections and building on that. And I feel like what I see nowadays is people are so focused on social media and the expectation that they're going to make something of themselves out of the internet. And they kind of disregard the connections that you can find in college and utilizing the professors and whatnot. But Vanderbilt, I did a summit with them in May of this year, actually. And it was such a good, such a good student body and just overall college. I was really excited to, to be on campus. So, uh, so when you left Erno and then you went to Laura Mercier, uh, when you were going through that transition, I'm assuming that entrepreneurship still was not in your purview, but I, I would anticipate that in some capacity, menopause was starting to come into your mind or just the thoughts surrounding it. Honestly, no. So no, what, okay. <laughs> what happened, the way that I transitioned? So as I said, I was with International Paper, 19 years, paper and forest products, nothing to do with beauty whatsoever. And this is probably what's really important about this is the power of knowing you can make a change. Once you start something, if you don't like what you're doing and it is not your passion, you can change it. And so I was lucky enough to be living in Paris, France for four years, working for international paper, 
I was the CFO of a billion dollar container business over there. I worked in France, Italy, Spain, UK, Ireland, and Turkey. I traveled every week of the year. It was amazing. And I became enamored with fashion and beauty living in Paris. When I ultimately moved back to the US and I realized I was with the company for 19 years, I kind of woke up one day and said, you know, if I stay here for 20 years, I don't know that I'll be able to make a move or if anyone will, will be interested in hiring me. That's a long time. So I decided I wanted to change industries right then and there. And I was lucky enough to meet um, the CEO at the time of Laura Mercier. Her name was Sharon Collier. And you know, we met, we instantly connected. And the fact that I was going from a finance role to another finance role made the move from paper and forest products, a commodity industry, to beauty and quite frankly, a luxury industry so much easier because finance is finance. So that was pretty easy to pick up. But I, I knew I needed to learn the business and I, I got you know, very involved in all aspects of the business wherever I could. I then moved to Ernal Laszlo when I had the opportunity to take on more of an operations role and ultimately run the whole company as the CEO. I got involved in product development. I got involved in sales, in marketing, areas that really, you know, I didn't have as much involvement with before. But remember, I had this business background. So I knew a lot of, you know, how, how does marketing work? What are the objectives? What are we trying to do? So, so I had that to help me. With regard to deciding to be an entrepreneur, <laughs> it was almost, um, and then also thinking about, you know, getting involved in something related to menopause. I never thought about menopause. I never thought about it until I had my first hot flash. And then it was like, shit, all this stuff is going to happen. I'm so not ready and I don't know what's coming, but I need to get educated so that I can get ready for what's coming. And, and the fact that no one was in the space, it just became this, <laughs> this calling to me that you have to do this. If you don't launch this company, no one else is going to do it. So do it. What are you waiting for? And, I love and that that's, say that. that's what happened. <laughs> I love that you say that because that is so true about entrepreneurship. No one else is going to make your life happen for you. So you literally just need to get out of your comfort zone and do it. And sometimes it takes people 10 years to have the idea and to pursue it. And sometimes it just takes something like having that hot flash. That's like, okay, I'm going to do this now. So looking back at your, your whole journey, uh, as a whole, when you left, Laura Mercier, were you scared of what that next step would be? And I mean, especially when you launched Pause, this is a two-part question that I can definitely repeat as well. Were you intimidated when you were like, okay, I know that I need money for this, but I haven't ever necessarily pitched to investors before. I know you said you made a business plan, but was there fear there? Oh my God. I was so terrified. And if I'm being very honest, I'm still terrified. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you know, because now my terror is something different. Now I've become responsible for other people and I have to keep growing this business. When I say other people, my my employees, right? So it's just sort of sheer terror all the time, but in a good way, because I can kind of control my terror. So um, when I first decided I wanted to launch the company, 
that was absolute terror. I didn't know what to do. I had never been an entrepreneur before, but I had some ideas. I knew how to write a business plan, or at least I researched how to do it and, and you know, figured that out. Um, I certainly knew how to put a PowerPoint together. So that was going to be my, my pitch deck. And it constantly evolved. I think my final business plan, I had something like 27 iterations of it. And we're, I'm talking about like a 50 page document here. Um, I don't even know if people still do business plans today, but for me, it was my roadmap of how I wanted to get to where I thought I was going. Um, so it was super helpful as far as that goes. But then, you know, my first meeting to sit down with an investor, I, you know, it, it was absolutely terrifying. I didn't know, was anyone going to find this idea as interesting as I did? Am I just kind of in my own world here thinking I have this brilliant concept and maybe it's just sucks. <laughs> no one's going to care. Um, and remember when you're an entrepreneur and you're first starting out, like I, all I had was money that I had saved up, right. From, from previous work experience, I had no income coming in. This was what I was devoting myself to full time. And so you know, I was married and I, I sat down with my wife and I was like, all right. And, and she also was figuring out her life. So between the two of us, it was like, well, we might not have income coming in for a year and let's just be okay with that. Let's, you know, thankfully we had some savings where we could do this, but let's agree. We'll give ourselves a year to see, can this happen? And if it doesn't happen in a year, then we go to plan B and plan B might be, we're going to go you know, become baristas somewhere and just sort of live the good life in a different way. But we have to take that chance because if we don't do it, we'll always wonder what could have been. <laughs> so cute because I think of that all the time. You know, people ask me, do I have a plan B? And I'm 24. And I always say, I think that is my plan B. My plan B or I don't know, in this cancel culture, God forbid, <laughs> it happens. You never know, right? Uh, right. I, I would just feel like I would go do that, be a barista. I work at a store. I walked into a Target the other day and I was like, maybe I should just, I've never worked a retail job. Maybe I should just try this for a few weeks so I understand people who work retail jobs. So I think that you always have that as another option. But if you're listening to this podcast and you're obviously as inspired by Rochelle's story as I am, Rochelle, what advice do you have for someone who is honestly, just too scared of starting because they're too scared. It won't work out. I mean, what advice do you have to overcome that hump? Because that, that hump is what I like to call it. That is the, that is the biggest task you're going to have to overcome is just starting it. It's just making the business plan. So how do you get out of that fear? Yeah. I, so I think there's a few things. I think first of all, talking to people around you and testing out your idea. I mean, if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, it's generally because you have an idea and something that you think makes a lot of sense and the world needs and maybe doesn't have today. So test that out with your, your circle of trusted people, whoever they might be, and you know, gauge, is there really a need for this and are you onto something? If you get that, that reassurance, then that's a pretty good indication that, that you've got something. And then I think the next step is, okay, what is your individual situation? Can you afford to take a risk? And then if you realize that you can, what is that time frame that you're willing to give yourself to either succeed or 
fail fast, right? You don't want to fail after a very long time. You want to fail fast. So either it's going to work or it's not going to work. And what does that look like? What does success look like um, to you? What is what is failing look like as well so that you can make a change if you need to. You know, something else, if you have other entrepreneurs in your life that you can talk to and just get an idea of what did they experience, what's typical, what is this life really about? I mean, it is absolutely a constant roller coaster and a constant stomach ache. If you don't have the makeup for that, maybe, you know, being an entrepreneur isn't the right thing. But if you really have a dream and an idea and you just know, that it is going to work, you have to follow that pursuit and make it happen. How long would you wait? Or how long were you willing to wait to see if pause actually worked? Yeah, so we ended up, I, I said we gave ourselves a year. It was really, for me, it ended up happening about a year and a half. So I still, in that year's time, as I was pitching and creating and coming up with formulas and packaging and branding, I could see things happening. And so you get a sense of, is this going to happen or not? Um, even though, yes, there were plenty of doors closing in my face around, you know, are we going to invest in menopause or not? There was enough interest and enough um, happening that I just felt like, it was going to happen. And so I ended up waiting. Well, it took me a year and a half. So that's, that's not a ton of time, but that's also by the time that I would assume someone would know whether they would want to pursue it or not. Do you think if it had gone past a year and a half and it wasn't in theory working out, would you have given up? Would you have gone and become a barista? That is such a good question. Um, I don't know. I kind of feel like I had such a, a passion and feeling that this just had to happen that I would have kept pursuing. And I mean, I hate to think that I would have bankrupted us, but it could have happened, I suppose. And if it had happened, it would kind of have been, I mean, just based on this conversation with you, I know that if that had happened, you would not have given up. It, it just wouldn't happen based on, I can tell the type of person you are. Yeah. Um, and I think that's right. I, I think you're, that's a hundred percent right. And it's always about knowing what are your, what are your plan B's and your fallback plans? And maybe they're not glamorous. I mean, look, I always envision myself, you know, flying around in private jets and driving a Lamborghini and being glamorous. Well, I'm not there, <laughs> but that's my vision of what I want. Yeah. But as far as what I could live with and what I could do, I mean, if I had to go back and live with my parents again, even at my age of 53, I'd do it if that's what I had to do, you know? Um, I think those are the things that we have to think about is what are we really willing to do to see our dreams materialize? And there's just a lot of times where for startups, they don't work out at that time. So it's never a bad thing, in my opinion, to keep, keep that side hustle or, you know, side job and pursue, I, I guess, vice versa. So keep your job, don't quit your J job, keep the side hustle and keep the job until you're really able to fulfill both sides. So Rochelle, when you made that business plan, I'm curious because I had to make a business plan the other day and it was so intense. And I was honestly not prepared for how intense of a business plan that was. And that's not something that they teach you in school at all is how to create a business plan. So right. how did you know what to put into that? Um, honestly, I asked some people to send me examples. 
Um, and I just got a hold of some business plans that, that other people had put together. Um, and I kind of used that as my template for, okay, these are the things I need to cover. It doesn't matter what the industry was, right? But these are the things that clearly are important to get across in a business plan. And that was what I used to create my framework and then tailored it to the industry that I was, I was working in. Okay, so asking for help then is something that is very accepted and admired upon. Have you had- Oh, 100%. You have to. There is no way that we could do all this on our own. Have you had mentors along the way too? I have. I've been really lucky enough to have some great mentors. I mean, even going back to my international paper days, I had had a mentor there. um, And I seek out mentors wherever I can. And to this day, I'm still- I still look for mentors and, you know, try to also give back and, and be a mentor. And I think mentorship is such a huge topic right now. I mean, I started a mentorship company earlier, a few months ago, actually, and I've just seen how that term has become such a buzzword. And I feel like finding mentors is something that people struggle with. So the ones that you've had along your journey, where have you met most of these people who have, uh, who have inspired you and mentored you along the way? Yeah, most of them I really met, I think, at work. Um, you know, I mentioned IP was a $28 billion company. So very easy to, to find, you know, some people there that you just sort of knew they had it going on and they, they knew what they were doing. And if you could help extract some of that knowledge from them that, that you are going to be much better off. And that was kind of what I looked for. Um, I also look around my industry now. And when I see somebody that, you know, I think is really making a difference or doing some unique things, or maybe has a, an interesting perspective, those are the kinds of people that I really do, do seek out to, to be mentors. And what in business kind of turns you off? I'm curious, especially when you've pitched investors, uh, is there anything that you're like, okay, I am at a point now in my career where I can say no, like this isn't a solid fit for me. I mean, how do you know when you're going into the business industry, what you should say yes to and what you should say no to? Yeah. I mean, I am a very principled person and I have to be able to stick with my principles and what I believe is right. And, you know, one of the things that that I learned so much um, working for various companies was what not to do, right? How to, I mean, I had some horrible bosses and I never, ever wanted to be a horrible boss or run a company in a way where, you know, people just didn't want to be there every day. And so for me, if, you know, somebody who recognizes the value of people and the team and what a team can do, that's one of the most important things to me. And if somebody doesn't recognize that and just believes that, you know, running a company is is full of commodities, not people, but commodities that you can, you know, fire and hire at will, that's not for me at all. That is not anything that I would want to be a part of. Um, I also think there has to be, you know, some sort of, of, of mission in what it is that we're doing. And I talked about beauty and beauty being so great for helping people feel better about themselves. And I love that. Um, I was looking also for even a a deeper mission, which of course is breaking this taboo around menopause and helping women feel like superheroes. And so 
if that's something that doesn't resonate with whether it be investors or whomever, then you know, I'm not really interested in working with them. That team element is crucial. And crucial. I, it's yeah. everything. Oh, yeah. And I realized that along the way, too. But I also think people go into business and especially entrepreneurship thinking, OK, I need a team right now. I need eight people working for me and we're going to outsource and everything. And I feel like what I've learned is that I didn't I got and I hired people when I needed to. And up until then, I think true entrepreneurs and to be truly successful, you want to save all of your money. Like you want to really figure out and try and experiment with everything so that you know what you're good at and what you're strong suits and not so strong suits are. And Rochelle, what would you say that yours are? Where have you felt like you struggle or aren't excelling as well in this company? And that's when you brought someone on to help you with that particular area. Social media. (laughs) Classic, because so many people say that. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, look, I know finance and I know, you know, how to how to manage my cash flow and things that are super, super important for an entrepreneur. That's a major skill set to have, right? To make sure that you're not going to run out of money too fast. That's really important. Um, Where I was not so great was absolutely on marketing, but specifically digital marketing and just understanding this world. I mean, this world is changing so fast. Um, And, you know, how do we incorporate AI into algorithms. And I mean, all these things, I don't even know what I'm saying. I really needed to bring some experience in, in that area and, and still we're learning. I mean, we, we still have a long way to go there. And with social media too, it's constantly evolving and that's not something, I mean, I'm 24 and I started a blog in 2011 and social media wasn't even as prominent then. So I have struggled a lot of times as well, trying to understand how to navigate this industry and how to build a brand off of it because people rely on it. But I would assume that when you were at these two other major companies, social media was not something initially that they were focusing heavily on. It didn't even exist then. We didn't know what it was. There was no such thing as an influencer. You know, so all of this is brand new language that, I mean, we've all had to learn it together, right? Um, But yeah, that that didn't exist before. So or maybe it was just very, very early getting started, um, but not something that, that we relied on. And then when you think about, you know, think about the demographic that I'm trying to reach with my, my skincare, my beauty products for a consumer who's probably in her early 40s and up, you know, where is she today? Where do I find her? I I don't know that she's on TikTok, but maybe she is. Um, I know she's on Facebook. She's definitely on Instagram, but is she, is she somewhere else that, that I need to find her? And so these are the things that I need to definitely get better at. Yeah. And that's something that can be really helpful when you build that initial business plan. And my opinion is to implement some of those parts throughout that, just to kind of remind yourself along the way of what to focus on. So I have one last question for you. So when it came to the investment side of it, so if if you're starting a company and you don't have any money or you take out a safe, small five or $10,000 loan from the bank, XYZ, whatever, and then you get up in front of these investors, I mean, what should people know about the investment side of starting that company? Because maybe you've 
gotten to where you've gotten with that five or 10,000. And now you're like, okay, now I need more money. I mean, do you go right to VC? Do you go to angel investors? What would you suggest? Yeah. So the best thing is probably going to, to angel investors and family and friends, because those are the, the family and friends in particular are the ones that, you know, they believe in you the most. They know you, they know what you're capable of. Um, and so, you know, raising, you know, $10,000 increments from friends and family is a great way to, to initially start out. I will say that I did not do that. Um, and I kind of went with more um, venture, venture capital, maybe sort of angel, I guess. Um, I've got some, some angel investors as well. But the biggest thing is that you need to know, you've got to know your numbers. You've got to know how are you going to get from here to there, wherever here is today to where it is that you think you're going to get to. What are your, your key metrics that you're focused on that you're always going to measure yourself against to see, are you making your, your goals? Are you getting there? Are you making progress? Where do you need to make some changes? Um, and then, you know, do you, you know, the, the rest of it is just the idea itself. And what are the plans for future development? That's what the investors are really going to be looking for. I've heard the term a lot of times that people say that the investor is investing in the person and not the business. Would you agree with that? There's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I think the they're still investing in the business too, because there's got to be a way to, to get somewhere. Um, but certainly the person has to be highly credible. And so you've got to be able to communicate that, you know, you, you know your stuff. You have the passion and the drive to get there. You're going to do whatever it takes. If it means, you know, you've got to work all every weekend and every weekday and uh, you're going to do it just to, to make it successful. And that's what people really want to see. What's the end goal for pause? Where do you want this company to be in 10 years? So where I would love for us to be is a regular household name <laughs> that has now become a company that morphed into an overall lifestyle brand. So yes, we are, we are skincare and beauty today, but we become so much more than that. Um, I think that down the road, we will likely be owned by someone much bigger. I'm not exactly sure who that is, um, but that can help us get to that kind of, you know, lifestyle brand, um, um, place. I'm so excited for you. And I am just so glad that I said yes for the first time in a while and went to that <laughs> event because meeting you and hearing your story has just been so, so remarkable. So Rochelle, thank you so much for taking the time today. Where can everyone find out more about pause and follow you online and everything? Yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you so much. And, and thanks for coming up to me at that event and, and chatting. And I'm so glad that we got to meet and do this. And I am glad you said yes um, and came out to that event. So pausewellaging.com. That's, that's all one word, pausewellaging. Um, and then our, our social media handles are at uh, pausewellaging. And then mine is just at Rochelle Weitzner um, for Instagram. 
and we are available. You can, you know, have your moms, <laughs> if it's not you, come come find us on our website. We're available on Amazon. We're at Nordstrom, uh, Macy's.com. So several, several retail outlets as well. Macy's is one of my favorite stores. I literally grew up going to Macy's. So that is so cool to see pause there. And again, That's thank awesome. you. Thank you so much for creating this and for being so fearless and launching something that obviously all people, including young people need to know for everyone who wants to listen to more episodes of the new unfiltered head to Instagram, which is at the new unfiltered plus my personal social media, which is at Alexa underscore Curtis. And after every episode, you can see more in the show notes about the guest, as well as on the website, lifeunfilteredwithalexa.com. See you guys next week. Bye.